Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Gerhodge, and uh, thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, I have a colleague, uh, Jeanette. Uh, Jeanette, how are you today? I'm very well. How are you, Roxanne? So Jeanette and I uh, met, uh, we're, also, we're both podcasters, and uh, you know, she's, she covers a topic which I think is something that we see so often, and I, I thought, you know, why not have her in, on? So that maybe people that are interested in ADHD might be able to tune into her podcast and learn a lot more. So I'll just tell you a little bit about Jeanette and her background. Um, and she, her life never made sense. Um, she's always felt like she never fit in. It was just different. And in 2017, the spring, she was uh, diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, all of a sudden, everything started to make sense. She learned about ADHD and, and more started to learn more about herself. She was different. She didn't realize she didn't fit in, but that's okay. We're all different. Um, and there's aspects of ADHD that most people um, wouldn't wish to be on their best friend, but there are also those things that make them stand out in the best way. Despite her hardships, she's had much success in her career and family, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. And she shares a journey of acceptance from her diagnosis, going through treatment, and just juggling the daily life um, on her new podcast, which I want everybody to um, tune into, and we'll, we'll include a link um, in the show notes for Excuse My ADHD. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. So I would say that a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what ADHD is and what it's not. So, and because you've been on this journey, I obviously, in my years of being in practice and coaching and consulting, I've come in contact with people or just people that I've had to work with. But tell, tell everyone what you found out about what ADHD is. You've lived with it, but then you looked at it from the angle of actually getting diagnosed and kind of navigating treatment for it. Well, for me, like you said in my bio, I never really fit in and I was always a little bit different. So like my mom and I are very much alike and, you know, we would do things that are considered impulsive that most people don't normally do. Like we would stay up late, do a midnight run to Walmart because we wanted to make homemade fettuccine Alfredo at one o'clock in the morning. Um, so it, it's things like that and little things like that all through my life. And in the spring of 2017, um, I had my third car accident in 12 months. My husband, he had heard a testimonial of somebody who had ADHD and was listening to their story and had come home and told me that it was like he was listening to me. Like that person up there was pretty much telling my life story. And I was, you know, most people think ADHD, you think of the kid in school who can't sit still, constantly getting in trouble. You don't think of the quiet, introverted, 
girl who sits in the back of the classroom that nobody sees. And that was me all through school. I got through school well enough that I didn't really have a whole lot of problems. I didn't make all A's. I didn't make all F's. I was right in the middle. I had A's, B's, C's, D. So I never hit the radar at all. Nobody ever thought of that for me. Parents, teachers, doctors, no one. And so when I finally did go into the doctor and was diagnosed, it absolutely blew me away because everything I knew was wrong. I, you know, and even some physicians don't either believe in ADHD or they don't understand it. And so finding out that you don't have to just be that hyperactive kid was just kind of, it was mind blowing to me how many different ways ADHD can present itself. And then you also have, you know, outside of just women who are misdiagnosed because we, when we go in, we are told we have depression, we have anxiety, but those are all comorbidities that 50% of the time occur with ADHD. And then you also have, I think they, I read like 50% of people on the autism spectrum also have ADHD. So it's not just a one fits all. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is what's really important is to destigmatize it and to get people to understand what really is going on because it truly can be debilitating at times and very imperative. And I don't think there are that many people that understand that. So the goal of my podcast is to chronicle my journey with it through treatment, through managing it daily, and then to also have others come on and share their stories. Because when you read a story, you feel an attachment to it. Mm-hmm. But when you actually hear it and you can hear a person's true emotion behind it, I think it strikes a deeper chord mm-hmm. and it sends a truer message message. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So what I'm interested in is we have this stereotypical kind of perception. So let's, let's start there. And you said there's different ways, like you said, Hey, most of us have been somewhere in the middle (laughs) going Mm -hmm. to school. We've gotten trouble. (laughs) We can be impulsive as teenagers. Um, You know, I was a very impulsive teenager. Okay. But sometimes people say that's being a teen, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Some, yeah. some qualities that you're describing that I think, I don't know about the listeners, but I would think, oh, I could kind of see that sometimes I've kind of experienced those things. Yep. I had a conversation actually with someone I'd gone to Ireland back in July and I met somebody on a bus and we were talking about that exact same thing. He was asking me about, I don't even remember how we got on the subject, but he was asking me about the different symptoms. And as I was telling him, he's like, oh, well, I'm this sometimes. And yeah, I do that. I do that. And I had to keep explaining to him, yes, everybody has some of these symptoms some of the time, but the key factors are, have you always had these symptoms? And do they affect every aspect of your life? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, okay, 
I can't remember appointments for doctors at home. It's, I can't remember appointments at home. I can't remember appointments for in meetings at work. It, it affects everything. It's, you know, and it, it's kind of attention deficit isn't really accurate. I think because we can pay attention. The fact is we pay attention to everything and that's the problem. It's more of a focus issue. It's more of a fo- you know, and it's interesting. Yeah. I had a, 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 a situation with a consulting um, situation. <laughs> and so I said to the person in the room, right? Cause I know with me, I, I need, if I'm writing, for instance, cause I'm a writer, I need dead calm, but sometimes I need music or, you know, depending on what I'm creating. And he's just trying to explain to me um, what it was like to have ADHD and he, which he had, he said, your voice is competing and he started to litanize everything that he was hearing. There was little crackles that I didn't even hear. There were like barely something outside of the room and you know, the fan kind of maybe going two doors over that I had to literally slow my senses down and focus just to be able to hear what he was hearing. Yeah, because like right now I can hear the traffic going outside even with my headphones on and I have to make sure that I focus. Right. And what he what was telling for me, Jeanette, is that he said, and your voice is equally as as loud as those other sounds. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. when I said, wow, I said, so, you know, I know sometimes with me, if I'm, you know, had a long day or whatever, and I just need complete silence. He said, well, just think of it that sometimes you can never get silence. No, because even when you're in a silent room, you can still hear the air conditioning. You can still hear all the noises outside. So you never really have that true, complete silence. I was actually recording an episode about a week ago. I had the door shut. I had my headphones in and everything was fine, but I could still hear people talking outside of my house. And it was distracting me and I would have to stop and get up and see what was going on because it was bothering me so bad. So let's talk about how that impacts your ability to connect, right? Like when Mm -hmm. you're not stabilized, we say with whatever you need to take to get stabilized, conversations with your partner or your children or, you know, um, at work or, What's, what's that like if, if that's happening? <sighs> okay, so um, I'm at home and I'm talking to my husband. If my kids are upstairs in another room and starting an argument, automatically my attention goes to that. Mm. And a lot of times this causes trouble in our relationship and we've had issues with it because he feels like I'm detached and I don't care which is actually the opposite of what's going on. It's just that I'm hearing him, but I'm also hearing what's going on elsewhere. And my brain is bouncing back and forth. Mm. If I'm having a meeting in my office with coworkers, I'm discussing whatever we're talking about. But then if I hear somebody across the hall in the kitchen, I start, I'm in the middle of that conversation in my head. And so it's a lot of bouncing it around and having ADHD. It also, there's other things to interrupting people. Mm. It's like my brain is going so fast that I feel like I can anticipate what's going to be said. 
and it just comes out. And that, that would be viewed as uh, you're being rude mm-hmm. or, you know, you're, you're talking over people because you exactly. know better. All those things I would think would, you'd be kind of judged you yeah. know, to some degree. Yeah. And this has been a real problem again, you know, with my relationships at home, especially because my husband feels like, you know, I do it on purpose. Right. Right. And he tries to be as understanding as possible, but you know, he's had to put up with me for 17 years. (laughs) I'm sure it's probably getting pretty old, but you know, I try, I, I have to consciously focus on not doing it because otherwise it just comes out. So is there some skills that you've learned that has helped to be able to try to, you know, be able to, I would say channel a bit more to be able to kind of, you know, if your husband wants to talk about, um, you know, maybe some difference that you had the day before, the last thing he needs to know is that you're thinking about the kids who are about to like probably have a little bit of a toggle over there. He wants your, 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 your attention, even if it's for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I try to do unconsciously, I, I kind of, I don't grind my teeth, but I clench them and that helps focus me. I fidget a lot with a piece of fabric or just whatever pencil, anything I have, I fidget, but it focusing on those things helps me to, I guess, stay in the moment and not because otherwise I'm like either I'm counting I have to count in my head sometimes too to make sure that I'm not over talking somebody when they take a breath because when you have ADHD you're just you're you want to get it out because whatever thoughts in your head you have to get it out because if you don't our working memory that executive function that working memory is so bad that you'll lose whatever train of thought you had and hence why you're probably trying to interrupt because you're thinking, if I don't, if I don't, <laughs> if I don't give this up, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And that's part of it. And it's hard to explain that to people because you're really not being rude on purpose. It's not purposefully done. It's not a case of, you know, you should know better. Why are you doing this? It's, it takes practice to build on those skills. You have to literally focus on not interrupting people and focus on being direct in that moment with them, looking them in the face. And anytime you want to look at something else, you have to remind yourself consciously to stay in the moment. So it's work. It's hard work. Unlike most people who just, it's kind of automatic. So, you know, it's a, for any of us to stay mindful, it's, mm. a, hard, it's a hard job, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And you don't have those other variables kind of coming at you. Right. But for you to have to do it, it's, you, you're talking about tactile, like you said, you know, um, you know, the, maybe the, I don't know if the fidget spinners would help or yep. something tactile. But I know with um, sometimes when people are on the spectrum, they do a lot of tactile therapy with them. Does that make make sense? uh, But if you think about our senses, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, a lot of times if we're, you know, disconnected from the present, touching something helps. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. I'll start picking at my pants or a shirt or something. And that helps me. Okay. So what is it like with your kids? Because kids will be kids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And how how old are your children? So I have twins that just turned six and they're girls and I have a 10 year old boy. Wow. So they're all pretty active and they keep me going. But, you know, with the ADHD, it's, again, it's work to sit and be engaged with them all the time. Like just sitting and trying to play with them. I find myself constantly doing, wanting to do something else. Not that I don't love being there with them and playing with them. It's just, it's this physical need to get up and do something else. Wow. So you have to, again, the same strategies that you're talking about, obviously with your partner, you're, you're, and, and kids aren't going to get it, right? Right. <laughs> no, they don't understand. Why I mean, won't mommy look at, why isn't mommy looking at me? Why isn't mommy paying right. attention? Why is mommy doing something else? Why she's, you know, supposed to be playing with me. So it's a hard, it's a hard balance. And I guess it's, you can maybe tell the 10 year old that maybe mommy gets distracted sometimes, but the six year old mm-hmm. twins are going to go, they have no clue what you're trying to say. It's really, right. mommy, I need you. You're, you're not paying attention. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, so you've learned strategies that you continue to use all the time. Yeah. What, what kind of things affect it? Like, you know, does diet affect it? Does exercise affect it? What kind of things have you learned? Like, so, so- maybe talking about how you maneuvered the system and maybe what kind of things or strategies that you found that has been most helpful for you or just from others that you've interviewed. And, and, and I know you would probably continue to interview a lot of people that have used a lot of different things. So what I have found that works for me, probably one of the best things is exercise um, because it helps you with that dopamine and need that dopamine fix in order to focus. That's one of the issues. It's because ADHD is a neurological deficiency of hormones. It's the serotonin and the dopamine that you need and you're not getting. So exercising helps release more of the dopamine. I do jogging and yoga. Yoga helps relax and calm me a lot. Just focusing on the breathing and the movement I am probably more focused when I'm doing yoga than just about any other time during the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Running is good because it helps me release some of the energy that I have at the end of the day. Um, I don't have a whole lot of hyperactivity, but I do have some and the running helps get some of that out and it helps me think So when I come home, I can focus on doing the things that I need to do. I can get the laundry done and do the laundry and not get caught doing, you know, oh, I threw the laundry in and started it. I moved on to dishes. I moved on to something. The dishes are half done. And then I moved on upstairs and whatever I was doing up there is half done. And I'm coming back and it's been like five hours and I've still got laundry in the. So there's a pool of things of could be pools of things of unfinished tasks because you're kind of, you 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 saw something and you thought, oh, that has to get done. And you kind of. That's probably one of the easiest descriptions of what ADHD does to you is trying to clean a house because it, it is so hard 
most people can get it done in a couple hours. They go room to room to room, boom, they're done. They vacuum, they dust, they clean the bathroom, they're done. For me, uh, let's say I start, like I said, with laundry. I'm throwing the laundry in. Oh, there's a ball on the floor. I need to take that up to the kids' room. That's where it goes. So I get to the kids' room. The laundry started, so that's fine. But I get to the kids' room, and I put the ball up, and I'm like, ugh, this needs to be organized. So I start organizing it. And then I find something that doesn't belong in there, and I take it to, say, their bedroom. And I'm in the bedroom. I'm putting it up, and the next thing you know, I'm reorganizing their closet. I'm getting stuff out for Goodwill, and I haven't vacuumed anything. I haven't dusted anything. I haven't really straightened up the playroom like I was going to, and I still have laundry downstairs, and it's probably been three hours. Wow. I've done nothing. And then the next thing you know, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I start cleaning the room. I get their bed made. I go to get the vacuum. But on the way to get the vacuum, I forget something I need in my bedroom. And then I'm in my bedroom. I'm like, oh, I got to go to Goodwill. So then I'm pulling things out of the closet and I'm making a Goodwill bag. Laundry's been done for three hours. It needs to be switched over to the dryer. Still sitting there. I could have a dish. You know, the sink could be full of dishwater and dishes that's now cold because I've let it sit for so long and still nothing else is done. And so when my husband used to come home, he'd ask me what I've been doing all day. And I'm like, I've been cleaning the house. He's like, no, nothing. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm deep cleaning. That was always my excuse. I was deep cleaning, but it was ADHD mm-hmm. because you can't. And that's one of the things I read on the boards a lot is that people will ask the question, what is the best way to clean this room? One room. One room. That a normal person can get done in 20 minutes. Right. We have to have a system to do it. (laughs) But when I've been running and I'm on my medication, then I can do it like a normal person does. Because what the medication and the running do for me is it helps even that playing field. It doesn't give us an advantage. It helps us be closer to, I guess, neurotypical. Neurotypical. That's the the word. Like the rest of like the rest of us, neurotypical. Whatever whatever that is. Whatever that is, I have no idea. I don't know about neurotypical because it it seems like all of us are we've all got our thing, right? Right. And then you know with ADHD you've got comorbidities. So I've also got, you know, I'm O C D. I am um interpersonally sensitive and then you have rejections sensitive dysphoria which comes with ADHD and you know my emotions are all over the place I pick up on other people's emotions when I'm cleaning a room and I'm organizing the closet not only am I organizing finger spacing I'm color coding with hangers I'm short sleeved to long sleeve it is a mess my head is a mess (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot going on up there basically so you know so that said, obviously now, like you said, you have, you've learned strategies to be able to do it. Let's talk about work because you, you we just got on the line and uh, she says that she works in, at a university medical school. And mm-hmm. uh, I would think that that is microscopic and methodical and I'm going to use the word monotonous, not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So how do you get through a day? How did you learn? What skills did you have to develop to be able to be doing this position for as long as you have? Okay. So I 
What started it for me was I began working as an administrative assistant in the College of Public Health. And my boss, who would drive me crazy sometimes to the point where I just want to strangle him, but he was the one that actually started steering me into the trajectory that I'm in. Submitting, I started with submitting grant proposals. And through grants, you see all of the science that goes through in the grants and you see how important it is and what kind of an impact it can make on other people's lives. And all of a sudden it's important and what you're doing is important. And having that I think is what I do easier for me because I'm passionate about parts of it. So once I got through all of that, doing, you know, grant proposal submissions, I started doing the post-award part of it, which is the accounting and finance. And what's even funnier about that is I also have, um, I believe I have dyscalculia, which is kind of a, it's similar to dyslexia, but with numbers and patterns, but I deal with numbers every day. So you, so, oh, so you get distracted by patterns or you see? Um, no, so... I will interchange numbers. Okay. Um, decimals in the wrong place, plus or minus signs in the wrong place. I am horrible with dates. If I'm going 55 miles an hour, I feel like I'm going 30. If I'm going 80, I feel like I'm going 50. So I have a distorted sense of how, like, speed. I have a distorted sense of time, but that's also an ADHD symptom. But a lot of it has to do with abilities to do math. So algebra, equations, order, you know, what order do you put these numbers in to answer the equation? Where do they go? All of that. So like going through school, math was never, I I barely scraped through math, but I deal with numbers and spreadsheets all day long. So I have to have checks and balances in place because I am so bad at numbers. I transpose numbers a lot, but what I'm good at and what I think keeps me interested is that a lot of times with this post-award part of it, it's keeping, it's making sure faculty are spending their money properly. Mm -hmm. But what I have found is that I get thrown into situations where I'm the new person and I have to clean up something somebody has done for the past several years. I'm really good at finding mistakes and issues and fixing them. And it's like a puzzle for me. So that challenge is what keeps me interested in it. So that's, that's a positive, what an amazing mm -hmm. thing, right? Because, and I, I really want to talk a little bit about that because I think there are positive things, um, that comes out of this, like you said, Oh, absolutely. You, you know, because your brain is working at such a, at a accelerated rate, you're able to probably calibrate things a lot quicker than say somebody else's brain. That's not, I'm not able to synthesize information as quickly. I think one of the things that people with ADHD have is just a really special ability to think about things outside the box to problem solve and to be creative because like you said, we do, we think of so many things all at the same time, but we also think of things a little bit differently and maybe kind of, I think there's a little bit more sense of wonder there for us. 
that we haven't totally lost yet, but it absolutely helps me in what I do because I find things that other people don't see. Oh, wow. I'll find issues with the accounting and it's like, it's not just, oh, this number's entered in wrong. It's the student's pay, the student's tuition, the student's health insurance were all put in wrong, but why? Mm -hmm. What should it really be? What should the missing piece be? And it's taking, you know, a notice of award from a grant that tells you how to spend it, the budget that was submitted, and the actual what was input into the system, and having to tease through all of that to find out what it should really be. Okay. And so I do that a lot. It's the problem solving that I'm good at. And the job that I'm in now, I am the senior business administrator. So I have accountants that do the smaller work and they bring all their problems to me and I help them problem solve their departments. Wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> Just the thought of numbers scare me. So, and I'm not microscopic. So the thought of what you do, it's, that's, that's absolutely amazing that, uh, you know, we oftentimes look at the negatives associated Mm-hmm. with certain things. And sometimes, um, like I have a girlfriend and her son is autistic and I, I've seen him. I mean, he, we've been friends for 30 years and I've seen this child, obviously the diagnosis and all of those things, but the amazing, um, he can create these massive puzzles within the things that would take the average child probably days. Mm-hmm. She, will, she would buy something and it would be done within an hour. Oh, wow. And I'm like, how did that happen? Right? Yeah. He can't you know, connect and, and do the social kind of engagement, but there's a part of his brain that's so high level functioning that mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing to watch. So I think it's a nice perspective to look at and say, okay, this is happening, but what is the positive that actually uh, the brain is demonstrating that it can achieve? Yeah, and there are there are some, and I, a lot of people in the ADHD community we refer to them as our superpowers. So that ability to problem solve and think outside of the box, the creativity, and then you have hyperfocus. So for those that don't know, hyperfocus. So for example, I remember living at my parents' house, and I would get into a book that I loved, and I would be from on a Saturday morning from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed doing nothing but reading that book and being completely oblivious to anything else going on. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't drink. The only time I would get up would be to go to the bathroom. There's the slight downside is, is somebody interrupts you, you get really agitated, Mm. but you, if you can use that hyper focus when you can use it, then I mean, incredible. You can get through and do incredible things with it. But when you can't, it can be really disruptive. Like if you get into something and you get into that hyper focus and you tell somebody, okay, I'll be done with this in an hour and six hours later, you're still into it. You know, still sitting here at work and I was supposed to be home and had dinner and my husband's like, where are you at and what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Of course. But there have been times where it's come in really handy, especially if you've procrastinated on something to the last minute, that hyper focus that you get in because you're, it's like, I think we perform better under pressure. 
I guess is a way to look at it because you just get so focused that you can just boom, done with whatever you're doing because nothing else bothers you. So for the, for the leaders or the employers that are listening, um, what kind of guidance would, they, would you give them or things for them to consider when, when dealing with people that might have uh, ADHD at work? I think you need to find out what challenges them, what excites them, and help them find ways in their job to do those things that challenge them. Because when we're challenged and we enjoy doing something, we excel at it. But it's those mundane, boring tasks that we have trouble with and sometimes may need a little extra time to get through them. Um, I think deadlines are really important and having, if you're going to give somebody a project that has ADHD, I think something that's really important is being available to help them break it down to pieces. Because when you, you look at a big project and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, how am I even going to, where do I start? How do I get through? How do I get to from point A to point B? But then when you break it out into smaller tasks, it makes it a lot easier because then you can do the one small thing and then you can do the next small thing and the next and the next. And then before you know it, you've done something you didn't think you could do. And I think having those small tasks are important. So having creating the structure, like if we use the analogy of the room, Mm -hmm. if you know today I'm going to strip the beds and vacuum and put away the clothes, it's the same analogy as at work where you have the direction, this is what I'm going to achieve in the time period that I have. So really, really um, important to have deadlines, um, yeah. have guidance, be, be able to have um, someone to that you can go to if there is not that um, chunk down parts to a project and productivity would increase, obviously, when you're interfacing with someone like that, if they were to have that structure. Yeah, and I found um, kind of a revised version of the Pomodoro method mm-hmm. is helpful for me too when I'm trying to s- transition because transitions at work can be really hard. So tell me what the Pomodoro method is because I don't know. And for anybody listening that don't know, what is it? So the Pomodoro method is you take, you have a timer and it breaks down your time into 20-minute chunks. You get 20 minutes, then a five-minute break, 20 minutes and a five-minute break, 20 minutes and a five, and then after four chunks, you take a longer 15 to 30-minute break. And you just do this throughout the day until whatever you've been working on, you get done or you need to transition to something else. Right. So I have an app. It's called Brain Focus, because I, what I found is that the 20 minutes doesn't work for me. Right. 20 minutes for me isn't long enough to get into something and then transition out of it. So I do 40 minutes. I do 40 minutes and then a 10-minute break or a five-minute break. And I can get more. I've found that I get more tasks done on my checklist than if I don't do it. Amazing. Amazing. And then... I mean, kind of another thing, I guess, is I bullet journal. I live and die by my bullet journal (laughs) and Google for my meetings Mm -hmm. and, you know, tasks that I have to have done at work for projects. I put them all in my Google calendar with reminders and then I write them down because what I have found is 
at least for me and some other people with ADHD, is that writing, that physical action of writing it down helps your working memory. It helps you remember better. So I do both of those things. And um, I guess something else employers, because so many jobs are now broken into cubicles, that is a really hard environment for somebody with ADHD to work in. I would think so. <laughs> that is extremely difficult. <laughs> so any way they could not have a cubicle or at least have a place that they could go when they're working on something time sensitive would be helpful too. Well, this, is, this has been amazing information. So tell everybody about your podcast and when, where, you know, where they could catch it. I will put a link in the show notes, like I said. Um, I, am, I have not listened. I'm going to listen because I think I can learn a lot more. It sounds like there's a lot of fascinating things that you'll be covering. So share with everyone what, uh, what the podcast is about and where they can uh, tune in. Sure. Um, the podcast is more of a diary right now. It is a diary of what I've gone through from being diagnosed to treatment, using medication, and the journey is to continue with trying different things. So trying, one of the things I want to try is uh, mindfulness and meditation. And so what I'll, the plan is to do an episode on that mm -hmm. and then to actually go into practice with it and get back to everybody with what the results were and what I noticed the effects were of my ADHD, if it helped, if it didn't help, things like that, and just to keep going. And then eventually I want other people to come on and tell their stories. I think that's the most important part is for people to share their stories and to get the stigma broken out. Um, I can be found at www.excusemyadhd.com and pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, Alexa, iTunes, it's, it's everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. So. Well, thank you for sharing. It's, uh, I've learned so much more, um, you know, about, like I said, I have some knowledge, but not a lot. It really mm -hmm. helps me to understand, you know, potentially if I do come into co contact with someone, you know, what kind of things they might need from me uh, to be able to, you know, make the interaction more effective. Mm -hmm. So, so this is great information. I hope everybody tunes in or reaches out. Maybe there's somebody out there that's got a story that might want to potentially be on your podcast. Um, so for everyone listening, we all have differences. Just recognize that we're all, we're all dealing with something. And uh, so that, um, you know, whatever you can do to learn what's necessary to assist someone that's potentially coming forward, uh, be it at home, be it your children or, or your partner or uh, out there in the community or as an employer to recognize that there's ways that you can assist people. And oftentimes it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to take big things, but just understanding what the person may be, may be struggling with. So Jeanette, again, thanks so much for your time. I will be tuning, tuning in. And um, for anyone uh, needing more information from me, I'm uh, Roxanne Durhard. You can be, reach me at roxannedurhard.com. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist, a keynote speaker, and a trainer. Take care, everyone, and thanks again. 
Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.